Hey everybody, it's Brian. It's Sunday night, and uh, I hope you all had a good weekend. doesn't really feel like a weekend entirely, given the, the state of COVID-19 and the quarantines and the social distancing and kids being out of school and work being disrupted. It, uh, it all sort of just blends together into you know, not really distinguishing one day from the next and certainly not distinguishing the weekend from the the work week or the school week. But uh, the weather was great. Um, I got out for a couple nice runs myself. Um, I know there were a lot of people out and about, and uh, I'm not here to to act as the, the father to anyone or to reprimand, but I really... For what it's worth, if if anyone cares about my opinion, I really truly think that we need to, from what I, I saw myself this weekend at places like Golden Gardens, particularly where we live in Ballard, my, my assessment is that we need to do a better job um, and really take this social distancing more seriously. And the anecdotes I'm hearing from friends and family, you know, they're kind of seeing the same. And I know it's really easy to think that, oh, I don't know anybody that's got it. I, you know, it's not going to affect me. I'm healthy. The the math the math shows otherwise, and the science points otherwise. And you know, it's it's not fun to distance ourselves socially from one another and to separate physically by six or more feet. Um, but but I just I think we all owe it. To, if not to ourselves and to our families, just to our the, the society in general. So um, that's my my little PSA on that. Um, so yeah, runs have been great. Um, I hope you're all finding time to get out and walk or run. And, uh, you know, with appropriate spacing, it's great. And we all need to be doing it. It's good for us physically. It's good for us mentally. And... Um, yeah, it's uh, keep on moving. In terms of what's going on at the store, we're uh, we're operating Monday through Friday, ten to two. Um, it's not open right now to the public, but we are doing curbside pickup, and that has become a little bit more official now as it's going through the FleetFeet.com e-commerce. So you can go on there, check inventory, pay, and then I get an email saying so-and-so has ordered such-and-such, I can reach out to that person directly and set up a time, and then we can do a nice smooth handoff without really any um, contact happening. So that's fantastic, and we're excited to implement that and roll it out this next week. Um, So that's really all I'm going to say about running in uh, tonight, Um, even though the, the name is BMO's Running Podcast. It doesn't all have to be around running all the time. So, um, you know, probably anyone who's spent any time either watching a decade on or knowing me or potentially reading an interview with me along the way, there haven't been that many of those, but here and there, um, I've most likely mentioned, if not once, um, 
if not several times, at least once, my love for Pearl Jam. And uh, so I just thought I would go into how that how that um, lasting relationship with Pearl Jam began. So like everyone, or like anyone who was my age at the time when 10 came out, I think I was in middle school, certainly those that were older too, um, it was it was a big deal. I, I don't remember owning it myself. I know my cousin Nick had it. Um, I was kind of into some pretty crappy music at the time. As memory serves, I was, you know, Bon Jovi was on heavy rotation and Poison and Damn Yankees and that sort of um, 80s hair metal stuff. Not even hair metal, just, um, yeah, just not real great music. And uh, so, so then, um, so I was aware of 10, but I didn't own it. And then I did have a cassette of, Versus when that came out, but I think that was more just to, to, to own it, to say I owned it just cause that's what everyone did. I don't have any real strong memories of that album, um, from that time. It really wasn't until my senior year in high school, I guess that would have been 96, 97. I graduated in 97. So in the fall of 96, I, I started working at a a restaurant in Anacortes called the Calico Cupboard, and I was a dishwasher there, and so I worked in the kitchen. And one of my classmates, Alex Fike, and his his boss, so Alex was a like a prep cook, and then his boss, Dave, um, they were both avid music fans, and Dave basically, you know, as head of the kitchen, set what we were listening to. But um, but leaned pretty heavily on Alex for suggestions and whatnot because Alex was a musician himself, and there was a lot, a lot, a lot of no code playing at that time in the back, and and Pearl Jam in general, and it really made it a lasting impression on me as I was back there scrubbing dishes and burning burning the crap out of my hands with that hot water and um. For anyone who's washed dishes in a, a kitchen, it's it's not real awesome. Um, my hands were wrecked. It was kind of like uh, right now, actually, with you know all the hand washing and sanitizer and everything we're doing now, just raw hands. That was my hands, you know, the entirety of the time I worked that job, and um, and even on a a worse scale, I constantly had bag balm on my hands to try and keep them from drying out and it was the job itself was rough but what it what it certainly did do was really expose me to Pearl Jam and, and planted a seed that um you know as I watered it a couple years maybe a year or two later that seed really then sprouted and it started there at a calico cupboard I think so so I started really I went to Went off to college. My my freshman year was um, 97, 98. And I went to school at Western Washington University. And Yield had just come out. And I remember listening to Yield in my dorm room with this other guy, Ben, who lived on our floor. And 
Ben was also a musician and was super into do the evolution. And, and so we just, there was a lot of listening to yield and, and I was just, I was in love with it. I mean, it was like all I listened to all of a sudden was Pearl Jam. And I remember going out at that time and buying up all their older albums that, you know, getting, getting 10, getting, uh, versus not just on the cassette that I had that was long gone at that point, but on CD, no code. And then of course yield. And then that summer in July of 98, July 21st, if memory serves, I got to go and see Pearl Jam, um, at Memorial stadium. And that's where things changed forever. I liked their albums. I, I continue to like their albums, but if you've not seen Pearl Jam live and you're a fan of theirs on any level, or even just a fan of live music, live rock music, you've got to try and see Pearl Jam. The show blew me away. They came out. Um, I don't think I'll ever forget, you know, real sparse stage setup as Pearl Jam does. Um, went right into Corduroy and and that was that and they closed with um Bob O'Reilly Yellow Leadbetter it it was just it was incredible um so that was my first show July 21st 1998 I've now seen them 36 times as Pearl Jam I've seen Ed Solo I've seen Mike I mean, Mike is the most prolific of all the guys. He's played in the Rockfords. I think I've seen, I, you know, I'd have to go back and try and find this online, but I'm nearly certain that I've seen every one of the Rockfords shows that they've ever played. They're defunct now, but they, they got back together a couple years ago at the Tractor, and we saw that show. Um, but early on, I'd seen him at the, the Crocodile in 2000. Anyways, Mike plays all over the place. And so I've seen him the most. I've seen Stone Solo. Um, I've seen Jeff and his other band, Random. I've seen, I never did see Soundgarden, which, um, you know, that's a bummer. I did get to see Temple of the Dog um, the last time when they reformed and went on tour. And uh, so anyways, I've seen all the guys a lot more times than that, but as a band, I've seen them 36 times and, you know, um, it's tough to talk about right now, but you know, it seems like small potatoes compared to everything else that's going on right now because of the COVID-19 outbreak. Um, Pearl Jam has postponed their spring tour in which we were going to go with Jack and Amalia and my mom too during uh, Seattle Public Schools spring break. We were going to see them in Arizona, San Diego, and then two nights in LA, make a, a fun trip out of it. And, uh, and that would have put me to 40 shows, which would have been pretty cool. So, so obviously that's been postponed. Um, but I'm looking forward to the next time that I do get to see Pearl Jam. And 
I'm really, really looking forward to the release of their new album, Gigaton, which will be their first album since 2013. And that comes out on Friday. And uh, I don't actually know, like it'll certainly come out via the, the, you know, iTunes and things of the world. I don't know. I want a physical copy of that. I'd like to have it on, on vinyl and on CD. And I don't know. I'll have to look into it to see if if Easy Street is open right now and and what that looks like. But I wanna I wanna have a physical record, not just a a digital version of it. But either way, I'm I'm really looking forward to that. So um, you know, there's gonna be more Pearl Jam stories to come. But I just thought I would uh, share with you how it all kind of began for me and uh, remind you that. Their new album is coming out on Friday and, you know, all the, you know, I can't be critical of the band, really, although I didn't very much enjoy Can't Deny Me. Live, it, it kind of works a little bit, um, but, you know, that that wasn't a super exciting moment for me when that was the first song they'd released in a very long time. And then and there was another break and then ultimately dance of the clairvoyance which was the first single off this new record which is just unlike anything they've ever recorded as a band and i love it and uh, everything that i've heard the next song that was released was super blood wolf moon much more typical pearl jam sounding garage rocky um song really dig it and then what I've the snippets I've heard on social media from the other songs all sound great. And then all the reviews that I've read at this point for those that have been fortunate enough to get early copies of the album have been very, very favorable. So I'm looking forward to it. Um, all right. I think that's going to wrap it up for tonight. Uh, I hope you're all doing well. Keep running. Keep moving. Um, if you need anything from the store... Give us a call, either store. We are now doing curbside pickup. And I think that's a wrap. So have a good night and take care of yourselves. I hope everyone's staying safe and healthy. All the best. All right, I'm not really sure why I feel compelled to share this right now. This, um, I guess while I was out on my run this morning, I was thinking about this for some reason and I couldn't tell you now why this popped into my head. It probably seems crazy. Like, why are you thinking about that, Brian, while you're out running? I don't know. But uh, but I thought, well, should I share that? Maybe, uh, I don't know. Does anyone really want to hear that? Hopefully you'll get a little chuckle out of this. So when I was at school at Western, I worked at a yacht charter company. And um, it was a great job. I got to spend summers out on the docks and I would drive to the Bellingham Airport and pick up charter clients there and help them load their gear down to the boats and um and it was it was it paid well for a a part-time college job and allowed me to be outside and be on boats which um is something I've always enjoyed I mean early on in my life we uh my parents um were both avid sailors and that's what took us to Anacortes and then in high school, I had worked after my time at um, Calico Cupboard. I had worked the summer after my 
senior year of high school and just before I went to college at a charter company there in Anacortes as well. So I've always enjoyed boats and being on the water. So I had this job at Grand Yachts Northwest and um, one of the the less exotic jobs that I, duties that I had there um, was occasionally I would have to, a charter boat would come back from a week or two weeks out at sea. And one of the things that you'd have to do was to empty the holding tank, which was really, though it sounds awful, a pretty simple job. You would, there was a big um, like pump out station that was on wheels that you could roll over to the boat and then you'd stick a deck key into the, open up the, that um, cap on the deck and then stick the hose in and turn it on and it would just suck out what was inside. And there was sometimes a little odor, but you know, it really wasn't all that bad. So my, my boss, one, he spent like a couple, couple weeks, I want to say up North. I think he went up even, you know, certainly up the inside of Vancouver Island, um, Desolation Sound, maybe further up than that. That doesn't really matter. Came back from this trip and he said, hey, Brian, I, I hate to ask, but could I have you go down and, and pump out my boat? I thought, yeah, sure, Andy, that's no big deal. Um, that's what I do. I'm, I'm happy to do it. And so I, I went down and... Uh, <laughs> And I stuck the, you know, I opened up the cap in the deck. I stuck the hose in, flipped the switch, and it starts, you know, making the sound like it's it's going to do its thing. And then really nothing is coming up out of the holding tank. And I thought, well, this is really strange. Um, so I turned off the pump, and I pulled the hose out. And as I did, I heard this and all of a sudden, like it was, you could hear it welling up inside and like a, a geyser, it shot up out of the, the, the deck. It must've shot like three or four feet up in the air. And when I say it, I'm talking about a slurry of human waste that, um, cascaded down over the top of my head and covered me, you know, not everywhere on my body, but head to toe. I had um, two weeks of my boss's waste on my person. And I, I was like horrified, mortified. It was just terrible. I took a hose that was there on the, I almost jumped straight into the, the marina water. Um, but I grabbed the hose that was there, um, turned it on, sprayed myself, just fully clothed, just rinsed myself entirely and uh and then had to go back up to the office and i think i knocked on the door from the outside and somebody came out and saw me drenched and they're like what's going on and probably could as they were asking probably mid-sentence they could actually smell what was actually going on and so there was an extra set of clothes or something there at the office and i changed out and my boss was incredibly apologetic and I'm not sure exactly what had happened, but there's valves in there that had one had gotten inverted or something and it, it just backed it all up. And, but I swear I felt like for a week I couldn't get clean from that. It was, um, 
it was an experience that I hope to never um, find myself in again. So anyways, um, I, again, I'm not really sure where that came from today. Um, I guess I was thinking probably of like, huh, this is a pretty rough situation we're in right now. And then I, probably that led me to think about other rough situations that I've been in. And, uh, you know, that one's, that one's up there being covered in, uh, something made it worse about knowing where it had come from too. Um, if it was just anonymous human waste, maybe, maybe that would have been a, an easier pill to swallow, but knowing the, the source of it just it really complicated things even more. And so, um, Hopefully none of you have ever found yourself in the same situation or ever will, but um, hopefully that'll end this uh, podcast on a little bit of levity at my expense. So have a good night. Thanks.